0: The Momentary in Bentonville invites guests to the world premiere of Die No Die Arkansas by artist Maddie Davis. Presented nightly from August 4th through the 6th, each evening features six artists performing dynamic dances along intersecting routes throughout the Momentary grounds. Tickets on sale now at themomentary.org. It is Tuesday, July 18th, 2023,
1: and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Later this hour, our militant grammarian is back with another list of common language mistakes. And she has a quiz, too. That's
2: in our second half of the program. First, former registered nurse Emmy Brenzel is a practicing certified forest therapy guide. She takes clients into both rural and urban Ozark forests to unwind and experience a connection to nature. Ozarks at Larges' Jacqueline Frolick met with Emmy Brenzel in a local forest preserve to learn more about her practice.
3: After a short walk in the woods, Emmy Brenzel pulls out a blanket from her backpack and places it on the ground beneath some oak and sycamore trees. On the shore of Lake Fayetteville this early afternoon, she's accustomed to spending time in forest habitats, working with individuals and groups.
4: I am a certified forest therapy guide, and I was certified through the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy. And uh, this ANFT, or the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy, trains guides around the world to take people out into nature so that they can reconnect with nature and reap the benefits, the health and wellness benefits that you get from being out in nature in the forest.
3: Brenzel relocated from rural Wisconsin to the Ozarks 20 years ago after falling in love with the place, she says. She has over 30 years' experience as a registered nurse, specializing in geriatric and hospice care, engaging in clinical trial research, and eventually transitioning to holistic health and wellness coaching.
4: The whole reason I went into nursing was really to teach people how to be healthy, teaching people how to work with them, themselves and their own behaviors and their choices in life to maintain their health.
3: Three years ago, she enrolled in a six-month program to become a credentialed forest therapist.
4: Where you're meeting every week and then you're meeting uh, in between meetings with other trainees to practice your skills. There's a lot of research involved in the area that you're intending to practice to learn about the environment, to learn about the hazards, to learn about the watersheds, to learn about the history of the land. Forced
3: therapy can involve various approaches.
4: So forced therapy is an evidence-based, a holistic practice that uses immersion in nature to promote health and wellness. And what the forest therapy guide does is through activities, by way of invitation, we introduce people to the natural world. And we use invitations because an invitation has that flexibility where a person can interpret that activity in a way that they're comfortable with. And and then between those activities, we get together and really share as a group the observations that they may have had in, again, a safe space. So the guide is there to maintain the safety in the space and to promote the interaction in a safe manner.
3: Brenzo conducts individual therapy as well as group therapy, which she says can enhance the experience through shared dialogue.
4: So I want to be clear that forest therapy is not a mental health or therapeutic intervention for specific psychiatric illnesses. What it is, is really about more generalized health and wellness. It is a mindfulness practice that really allows people to connect with themselves and to connect with nature on a deeper level.
3: The sessions don't involve hiking, but rather mindful walking, where participants are first oriented on Ozark's ecoregion and cultures.
4: Typical walk starts out with just an introduction to the land and an acknowledgement of the land, to really recognize the indigenous caretakers of the land and to honor them. So because this is a land-based practice, it's really important to start out with that. And then we talk about the history of the land because the energy of all the peoples and the events that have taken place are part of that land that we're walking on and we're visiting in that moment. And then we talk about interesting things like the watersheds and how the rain that falls like on Mount Sequoia, the water, depending on what side of the mountain, goes on two different watersheds.
3: And how watersheds are globally interconnected. Renzel then introduces participants to the origins of forest therapy, which are found in Shinrin-yoku, or forest bathing, a contemporary ecotherapy practice made popular in Japan in the 1980s. Participants are encouraged to practice mindfulness, calling mental chatter, instead focusing on wind through the trees, forest fragrances, songbirds, and the drone of insects. While forest therapy is not psychotherapy, certified forest therapists are trained to respond to participants who carry past trauma, which may emerge during sessions.
4: This is a trauma-informed therapy that guides people um, to know that it's a safe experience. We invite people to do certain activities with the caveat that they're free to modify those as they feel fit.
3: She points out to participants that children are natural forest bathers.
4: One of the first things I like to do with groups when I start, the first round of sharing, is ask people to recall a moment in childhood where they first experienced nature. And almost everyone has an early memory, and I say, hold on to that. That's the feeling we want to capture today.
3: Brenzel says she's conducted forest therapy sessions in all sorts of ecosystems, including gardens, woodlands, and waterways.
4: Here in in Northwest Arkansas, it's principally been botanical gardens, Mount Sequoia, the Ramble. Um, I hope to, I'll be doing a walk up at Crystal Bridges soon, and um, I will go wherever people would like me to go. So I have done private walks where people have said would you lead a walk and, and usually what I'll do is go up and visit the land before I guide the walk. I will go wherever a group wants me to lead a walk. I just did a retreat about three weeks ago at a women's retreat center up in Missouri. So it's, it really depends on where people are interested in having the service.
3: According to the International Journal of Environmental Health Research, time spent in parks and urban forests can have a positive impact on a person's well-being, including reduced blood pressure, heart rate, and stress hormone levels. Emmy Brenzel, who can be found at OzarkForestTherapy.com, is leading two forest therapy walks in the Lower Ramble, a constructed woodland trail adjacent to Fayetteville's public library, on Thursday, July 27th from 10 to 12, and again Friday, August 25th from 10 to 12. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich.
2: This story and all the items on Ozarks at Large can be found at OzarksAtLarge.com. And you can also keep up with everything we do here with the daily Ozarks at Large newsletter that you can receive for free every Monday through Friday just by signing up at KUAF.com. If you
5: have a business or organization within KUAF's listening area and want to support public radio while connecting our thousands of engaged listeners with your services, consider becoming a KUAF business member today. Starting at just $500, you'll be linked on our business members directory and mentioned during our spring and fall on our fund drives. Sign up today at KUAF.com.
1: Later today on our show, how a memorable introduction to the King's River developed into a lifelong passion.
5: Uh, my dad, of course, didn't know I was following him, and I stepped off into a deep hole, Ooh. And, uh, and it still gives me goosebumps thinking about it, and I can still close my eyes and envision the ripples of the water in the minnows slowly, you know, swimming in front of my eyes.
2: Randy Wilburn talks with Doug Allen about his book, Devoted to the King's River, an excerpt from Randy's I am Northwest Arkansas podcast ahead. The Buffalo River will be the centerpiece of a celebration at Compton Gardens and Arboretum next month. The event, in honor of the 111th anniversary of Dr. Neil Compton's birth, will include a screening of the film First River, a documentary exploring the Buffalo River's designation as the first national river in 1972. Neil Compton, physician of obstetrics and conservationist, widely recognized as the founder of the Ozark Society. Its original goal was to stop the construction of two proposed U.S. Army Corps of Engineer dams on the Buffalo. The movie will be shown at the gardens, actually inside what was once Dr. Compton's home, at 312 North Main in Bentonville. That's taking place Saturday, August 12th at 10 in the morning.
1: Kyle, i got to be honest, this is the first time that I realized that Compton Gardens is named after someone whose name was Compton. There you go. Learn something new today. Hang with me. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Lake Dardanelle State Park will host its Arkansas River Cleanup on Saturday. The cleanup, held in conjunction with the National River Cleanup, is also part of the Centennial Days of Service series where you can earn prizes for volunteering in Arkansas state parks. Registration will begin at 8.30 a.m. at the Lake Dardanelle State Park Visitor Center, and kayaks will launch at 9 a.m. Lake Dardanelle State Park will have their fleet of kayaks free of charge available for volunteers to paddle along the shorelines to remove trash from areas that are otherwise difficult to reach.
3: Morning Edition from NPR News doesn't just tell you what's happening across the country and around the world. We go there so you can listen to it for yourself, whether it's rafting surging rivers in California.
6: Dig in! Keep going! it
3: or taking you to a legendary crab derby in Maryland.
7: you got a squirt bottle behind you and a bobber, okay?
3: Go there every weekday with Morning Edition from NPR News.
1: Morning Edition tomorrow and every weekday morning from 5 to 9 on KUAF 91.3. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. There is an excessive heat warning for several counties in western Arkansas and eastern Oklahoma until 9 o'clock tonight. The National Weather Service predicts heat index values to reach near 114 degrees in Sebastian and Franklin counties in Arkansas and a half-dozen counties in eastern Oklahoma. Northwest Arkansas is under heat advisory until 9. More of the same is expected tomorrow with Wednesday highs from 97 to 100 degrees across the region.
2: The mayors of four towns in Carroll County are asking residents to tell them about their Internet experience. The survey is part of an effort to help document the county is underserved with broadband coverage. It's in an effort to secure part of $1.3 billion in funding coming to the state. Sandy Martin, the chair of the Eureka Springs Mayor's Task Force on Economic Development, says the survey results may offer a more representative landscape of broadband services than do national maps
6: to disprove the FCC maps, because we feel that they're not accurate. They are basically a broader internet type base that show coverage, predominantly in our county, uh, satellite and Wi-Fi because of the terrain and the geography. So we have a challenge to prove that their map is wrong and that we have more need in Carroll County than they have identified.
1: Martin says so far the results of the survey indicate one in four students in the Eureka Springs and Berryville school districts are unable to access the Internet at home. She says that increases to 65% of students without access to Internet at home in the Green Forest School District.
6: Of course, they have, and they speak 10 languages in their school district. And um, what, what the school districts have done, they provide iPads for the kids, and they have put Wi-Fi on all the buses, but that does not help them at home. You know, so um, those are the kind of statistics we're trying to pull up.
1: The survey about Internet services can be accessed at libraries in Carroll County, through many churches in the county, and via the meal service delivery, The Call. The Arkansas State Broadband Office has also started a statewide survey to calculate Internet needs across Arkansas.
2: Fayetteville-based Marlon Blackwell Architects will design the Global War on Terrorism Memorial to be built on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., the Memorials Foundation selected Blackwell and his firm through a process that included more than 170 national and international firms. The organization received approval from the National Capital Planning Commission in April to proceed with the plan to place a memorial near the Lincoln Memorial. Blackwell is a distinguished professor in the Faye Jones School of Architecture and Design at the University of Arkansas. Another recent memorial in Washington, D.C., the World War I Memorial, was designed by U of A Honors College alum Joe Weishar.
1: The head of Arkansas's Chamber of Commerce says the state should use part of a $1.1 billion budget surplus to pass more tax cuts. Randy Zook, CEO of the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce, made his comments in an interview with Talk Business and Politics this weekend. Zook says the state's current budget surplus is partly because of previous tax cuts.
8: Well, I think it gets reinvested a great deal of it and that's exactly what's been going on and that's part of what's generating these surpluses, the the past tax reductions translate into more money available for employers to pay employees, to invest in their businesses for construction purposes, new plants and equipment, and it's certainly making Arkansas more, more attractive for capital investment.
2: Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders has said she wants to gradually phase out the state's income tax, though it's unclear whether she hopes to call a special session to more rapidly implement tax cuts. Zook says while the state's economy is doing well overall, businesses are still struggling to hire new employees.
8: Well, the solutions all pretty much look the same regardless of which state you're in. Number one, getting more people off the sidelines and into the workplace. the labor It's measured by the labor force participation rate and we've got a big gap in Arkansas between us and the national average. So that's a big opportunity for us in most of the southern and midwestern states.
1: Zook says the state's relatively low labor force participation rate is due partly to a declining birth rate and baby boomers aging out of the workforce. Zook credited the governor's efforts to boost workforce education in secondary schools with hopefully working
2: to increase the state's labor force. Construction on improvements for the Lake Fayetteville softball complex begin today. The project includes an overhaul of the field's stormwater drainage system, new artificial turf and new fencing, as well as new bleachers and park accessibility. A park improvement bond passed in 2019 that will pay for part of the renovations. Its expected completion date is March 2024.
1: This year's Northwest Arkansas Hispanic Heritage Festival will be at a new location. It was announced yesterday this year's event will be at the Northwest Arkansas Mall on Sunday, September 24th. The annual local kickoff to National Hispanic Heritage Month will still be free and include live music and arts. Organizers announced this year there will also be an accompanying soccer tournament hosted at the University of Arkansas's intramural soccer fields on September 23rd and the 24th.
2: A member of the Department of Human Services was promoted yesterday. Secretary Christy Putnam announced Mitch Rouse as the agency's chief of staff. He previously served as chief counselor for DHS in charge of their legal operations. Rouse succeeds Mark White.
1: Waste Management opened a new $35 million renewable natural gas facility at the EcoVista landfill in Tonytown. The 14,400 square feet foot facility is expected to process enough natural gas to power the equivalent of about 25,000 households a year and avoid up to 40,000 tons of greenhouse gas emissions from fossil fuels annually construction of the project created about 125 construction jobs, and the plant will initially have four employees overseeing operations.
2: And a two-time national champion in the high jump will be a member of the Arkansas Razorback men's track team next year. Romaine Beckford is joining Arkansas after winning both the indoor and outdoor high jump championships as a member of South Florida's team last year. He'll be representing Jamaica at the world championships later this summer in Budapest. Last year, the Razorback Uh, men's team, won the NCAA Indoor Championship and finished second in the NCAA Outdoors. This is Ozarks at Large. The Buffalo River is beloved, and rightly so. But the Buffalo, the country's first national river, isn't the only waterway of note in the Arkansas Ozarks. Doug Allen grew up near the Kings River, and he has a deep admiration for it. He's written The Riverman's Guide to the Kings River, and in the summer of 2022, he talked about the river and his book, with Randy Wilburn for Randy's podcast, I am Northwest Arkansas. Randy recently reposted the conversation as a summer bonus, and this week we're listening to an excerpt from their visit. Doug Riverman Allen is not an author first; he's the owner of Jose's Bar and Grill in Tommytown. He says he makes tacos for a living, but the King's River is his passion.
5: I grew up on the river, so. You know, during the pandemic, I had uh, I had talked to some friends. I think we may, may have even had a few beers and they said, Doug, gosh, you, you know everything about the Kings River. You should write a book about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll just write a book about it, you know, and uh, what's that saying? Uh, write a book, they said. It'll be easy, they said. <laughs> it was far from easy. I think it was one of the hardest things, you know, I've ever done. Yeah. Uh, there was many times, you know, I got fired up in the beginning and I would write and I'd, ha- I'd outline and And I'd get all excited. And then there was other days I just got really upset with it, got mad at it, threw it in in a drawer and (laughs) didn't pick it up for another couple months. And uh, so, you know, writing a book is just not, you know, it was not easy. But, you know, it was something I knew a lot about. So, you know, I was passionate about it. I got myself organized. Fortunately, I had some great English teachers growing up. I don't know (laughs) if they'd ever thought that I would write a book, but, you know, I actually took some of
9: what they were teaching me and, and, you know, I, I was able to put this thing together. That's awesome. So now what is it about, and I know for people listening to this, a lot of people have heard of the Buffalo river, right? Let's orient folks to where the Kings river is in Northwest Arkansas. Sure. Cause you're originally from Eureka Springs. Right? I'm
5: originally from Eureka Springs. Okay. So, uh, within a five mile radius here in Northwest Arkansas, and that's the beauty about living in Northwest Arkansas within a five mile radius up in the Boston mountains, You've got these wonderful rivers. You got the Kings River, you got the Mulberry River, you got the White River, you got the Buffalo River. So, you've got all these wonderful rivers starting in the same mountain range right here in Northwest Arkansas. So, you know, what a wonderful place to live that you can access all these streams. They're all floatable, fishable. Of course, everybody knows about the Buffalo River. Right. So, you know, some of the lesser known rivers, such as the The Mulberry or the Kings, uh, not a whole lot of people know about. Uh, A lot of people know about the White River because you know it's a chain through the lakes and and uh, but you have these extraordinary resource water bodies just right out our back door in
9: Northwest Arkansas. So, how similar are the ecosystems of each of the rivers? Do like do you see commonalities between the Kings River and the Mulberry and the White River versus the Buffalo, or or are they each like kind of their own unique? Um,
5: There is a lot of similarities in all of them. Obviously, the White River was dammed uh, in the Flood Restoration Acts, I don't know, 50 some odd years ago. Okay, So you've got a series of dams which release very cold water. So you get trout streams. And the Kings River, the Mulberry, the Buffalo, they're kind of uh, what I consider a warm water stream where you'll get more of like smallmouth bass uh, type fishing. In those type of streams. So there's a lot of similarities, uh, you know, kind of except for the white, which like I said, is, you know, it runs through all the way down, you know, into the arkansas river where it's you know it's trout it's cold water
1: okay
9: all yeah. right yeah and now does the white river run run through like cotter in some of those areas it does it does yes. okay that's it what does. i thought because i know cotter is big on trout fishing out there yes yeah okay yes. And I've,
5: I've fished many times in cotter and it's a trout capital of the world as a matter of fact is it so really i went out to colorado and uh I, I went into a fly shop and i said hey where do i need to find some Trophy trout, and the guy said, You need to go to Mountain Home, Arkansas. <laughs> I, I just kind of looked at him. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's, I'm already from there. He goes, Yeah, that's where the best trout fishing is.
9: Really? So,
5: you know, so you got all these wonderful rivers and trout streams and smallmouth streams. And once again, right out your back door in Northwest Arkansas.
9: Yeah, I don't think
5: a lot of people realize that. No, I don't, I, I don't think so either. I mean, people are starting to discover it. Uh, obviously, there's more and more people moving to Northwest Arkansas you know, on a weekly basis, but they need to check these things out.
9: Absolutely. Yeah. What wonderful resources we have. You know, growing up in Eureka, you were in the great outdoors and right. I mean, you were just exposed to it. So what really scratched that itch for you when you were younger and how, you know, was it, I know for me, I was a scout person. I was a Sc- Cub Scout, Wee blow Boy Scout, and uh, my Scoutmasters were kind of really introduced me to the great outdoors, along with a former neighbor, Mister Scott, may he rest in peace. And that's how I got. You know, what what was it for you? Well, you know, my uh, I come from a
5: family of uh, biologists. My you know my my dad was a microbiologist. My uncle was a marine biologist. Um, you know, we had always been around somebody of water, fishing, lake, river. I mean, you name it. So we were big outdoorsmen, but mainly we gravitated toward water. So, you know, as a young child, my uh, dad wanted to move to Eureka Springs. You know, he, he drove through there, stopped at the Kings River, fell in love with it. And all of a sudden we moved there. So my very, very first memory of being on the Kings River and it it gives me goosebumps thinking (laughs) about it was, um, my dad had parked somewhere on the river near what's called Kills Creek. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he decided he was going to take his fish, fishing pole and a bucket of crawdads that he and mom had caught. And he was going to walk down the river a little ways and catch a few bass. So I think I was four or five years old at the time. I may have been a little bit younger, actually. So I looked at my dad I said, man, this is cool dude with a fishing pole. And, and he had this bucket of crawdads. And they were, you know, it was cool just looking at the crawdads. So right. I started following him down the river. My mom didn't see it. And I. Uh, my dad of course didn't know I was following him and I stepped off into a deep hole. Ooh. <laughs> and uh and it still gives me goosebumps thinking about it. And I can still close my eyes and envision the ripples of the water and the minnows slowly, you know, swimming in front of my eyes as I was in this deep water hole, yeah. which I thought was deep. It was only four or five deep, but right. I was only a few feet tall. But,
9: That's a lot further. But kid. I was drowning. Yeah.
5: I was I was drowning. So I just remember the calmness of it. And watching the ripples and the beauty of the water and the fish, you know, then slowly everything started to get dark. And the next thing I know, I was on top of his truck, you know, and he was trying to get every bit of water out of every orifice in my <laughs> body. I think while mom is over there, you know, giving them the what for, for right, right, for not watching his son and, uh, and make him nearly drown. So oh my goodness. Uh, that was my first experience of the King's River, and I've had a attachment to that river. Ever since, wow. So you know that wasn't you know as a youngster that wasn't the only time that that we would go to the river. It was a regular basis, every two three days. We would grab our buckets and fishing poles and catch crawdads. My mom was she was the she had to be the world's best barehanded crawdad catcher really? I've ever seen. She <laughs> would see a crawdad turn over a rock, snatch that sucker, and and put it in a bucket. And you know we would uh, we'd have a great time, and you know. I didn't grow up with a whole lot of money. So, you know, we actually fished out of that river, you know, to put food on our table. Yeah. So, uh, you know, not only was it a recreational resource, but we depended on that for uh, food on the table. You probably weren't the only family. Probably not. There's a a lot of people that have used the Kings River for that same reason. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a funny, I'm strictly catch and release now when I go fishing and I take people. We were so poor growing up one time, we had to eat fish out of that river for a month straight. I kid you not. Really? So we had a 50 pound bag of potatoes and we ate smallmouth bass and Ozark bass. (laughs) Cooked every way imaginable. Every way imaginable. What was the favorite
9: recipe? Oh, it was just fried. It was cornmeal and fried. That was it. Kept it simple.
5: Kept it simple. And uh, I was so tired of fish, Randy. (laughs) <laughs> I told myself, I said, if I ever make it one day, I am never going <laughs> to eat another fish out of this river ever again. Yeah. And I have never eaten one since. Really? Once I made it, I just that was I it. decided I wasn't going to this. You gonna do so, it. So, true story, I'm strictly catch and release. Okay. Okay. But, uh, you know, the Kings River, it's, it's just has such an impact on my family and just, uh, you know, my everyday life around Eureka Springs. And even today, as I live in Fayetteville. So I still ha- I have a actually have a place over on the Kings River. Okay, it's very ironic. It's directly opposite of where I almost drowned as a kid. Really? So it's you know. It's, so it's, it's a subtle reminder for so it's you. It's a subtle reminder. So it's just <laughs> it's kind of odd that I, you know that I that I have a small cabin over there and on that river at that exact same spot. But yeah. It's, uh, you know, when I'm not making tacos at the restaurant, I promise you, I'm on that river somewhere. Somewhere.
9: Okay. Yeah, you know, and it's so. One of the things that you do that I, I really respect you for is that you give back to young people that sometimes aren't exposed to the river the way you were at your at that age, right? right? And so you have a program called the Riverman School for kids. And I know for the past couple of years, for you know twice a year, you would take kids out to the river, teach them how to fish, show them you know the whole process, so that they can not only learn how to fish but also appreciate nature. And I mean, so could you talk just a little bit about that and what was your inspiration for that specifically?
5: Sure. You know, it was during, you know, during the first part of the pandemic and these kids had nothing to do, nowhere to go. You know, I think the camps were closed and travel was restricted and all that kind of stuff. So I just put a, put a camp together, you know, at my place on the river and invited 10 kids to come fish. And it it didn't matter if they had any experience or not. So, uh, a lot of the kids have never held a fishing pole. They've never felt the tug of a fish. They've never caught a crawdad, a helgrammite. They've never seen for minnows. They've never experienced that. So, <laughs> so you know, I had some sponsorship. I had some people that gave me some fishing poles. So the kids got to take home a fishing pole and a, a bag of lures and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, they come over. We talk about the river. We talk about how to take care of the river. Sure. We talk about what's in the river. You know, then we go for a hike. You know, it's not, not just... It's not easy going fishing, you know, sometimes you got to walk. So yeah. I make sure they walk at least a half mile to get where we're going. You know, then we stop, we grab our buckets, catch crawdads. You know, we hang crawdads from our ear. It's called an Ozark earring. <laughs> so we have fun with that. You know, we, we, we catch Helgram which are a menacing, you know, they look like a centipede with big old kind of, uh, uh, pinchers on the front. Yeah. I, so the kids, yeah, the kids, uh, you know, they, uh, overcome their fears Holding that kind of stuff, and then after that's said and done, we walk another two, three hundred yards, and then we go fishing. We we uh, put the bait on the hooks, and then we catch smallmouth and longear and Ozark bass. And these kids just—you you should see the the look on their face when they catch a fish, or they feel the tug on the line for the first time.
1: The entire conversation between Doug Riverman, Allen, and Randy Wilburn can be heard at iamnorthwestarkansas.com or at KUAF.com. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your shows. Doug's book about the river is titled The Riverman's Guide to the King's River. This is Ozarks at Large.
10: On the next episode of The R Word, hosts Lowell and Dustin speak with Dr. Sung Cheng Ra, an author, pastor, professor, and advocate for racial justice in the Christian church.
2: There is something called internalization, where the system is so powerful and the individual Uh, internalizes what the system teaches. And this is what I talk about with narratives and imagination. Narratives, stories, uh, worldview, uh, ethics, ethos, culture, all of these things that become a part of the individual that they internalize from social narratives and societal pressure.
10: You can listen to The R Word, a podcast that explores reparations role in racial, social, and economic justice in the Christian church. For free at KUAF.com or anywhere you get your podcasts.
2: This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. All right. Matthew, summer is not over. No, not even close. Far from it. (laughs) But I will tell you that this is the time of the year that when I was a kid— Mm-hmm. I would hate to see the newspaper arrive. We had a weekly back then. Mm-hmm. Max or Bolton was a weekly, and that last weekend in July or that first weekend in August, when the supplements would be the back to school section yeah. for Walmart yeah. or a you know store, is like, oh, it was hard to deny. Yeah, and the summer days without school seem more precious. We're not there yet, right? However, <laughs> we've got a few things that tell us. We've hit a milestone Mm -hmm. in the summer. The final Gully Park concert of the Gully Park concert series is Thursday night. It's Funk Factory. It's also kids' night. Mm -hmm. They're going to have inflatable obstacles and things out there. They'll have the food trucks. And if you're looking at your schedule and say, wait, what? This is the one that was postponed from June because of excessive heat. Yeah, It
1: was excessive heat back then. Right.
2: That (laughs) that heat. Uh, It's 7 to 9, Funk Factory, under the gazebo, and it's absolutely free. Opera in the Ozark season is concluding Friday night. Mm -hmm. I mean, they do such a compact thing that when it starts, you go, oh, they've got, I don't know, 75 performances. This will go till September. That's not how it works there. (laughs) Um, So they have three more performances after tonight. Tomorrow night is the last performance of Orpheus in the Underworld. Thursday night, the last performance of The Tenderland. And then the Friday night finale, Elixir of Love. Uh, You can find out more at opera.org. And then finally, this has not really much to do with summer, but it is an approaching deadline. Mm -hmm. The last time, the last day to see Diego Rivera's America at Crystal Bridges is July 31st. I wholeheartedly recommend seeing this. Yeah, absolutely. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kelms, with me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio, Rachel Sanchez-Smith and Anna Pope, reporters for Ozarks at Large. Welcome.
10: Always a pleasure, Kyle. Thank Thank you. you.
2: And let me say congratulations.
10: Thank you again. Wow.
2: Um, Congratulations because you are, along with our colleague Jacqueline Froelich, multiple award winners, right, Rachel?
10: We did. We did. This was multiple months in the making, and actually we found out... um, few months ago that we had won the state awards and we're still waiting on the national to be released and for us to be able to announce it and
2: and when you say state this is from first you all three of you won some awards from the arkansas press women's communication contest for the state and then the national federation of press women
10: yes so for the state for the arkansas press women awards um I won a first place in radio and television for um, a story about advocates organizing to spread awareness about over- the overdose epidemic, specifically about opioids, and also first place in the future of contraceptives. Jacqueline Froelich, our colleague, got also a first place um, in radio and television um For her story, Make or Break Year for Hemp Farming in Arkansas, and our very lovely Anna Pope also won. Yes, I won a second place award for a story about expanding water infrastructure and the need to expand it here in Northwest Arkansas and uh, for, you know, waste in, uh, uh, you know, national and the national forest here. So, yeah. So from those first place awards, um, if you do get first place, you automatically advance to nationals. And then from nationals came the rest. Okay. And for the national awards, Jacqueline won second place for her prepared report. Um, and I won second place for the overdose for the overdose epidemic and an honorable mention for my reporting on contraceptives in Arkansas.
2: And the two of you are working on stories now. Uh, Rachel, you've got the series about m- maternal mortality, uh, which we've had three parts. We'll hear the fourth one soon, as soon as it all gets wrapped up. And Anna, I know that you're working on more growth and impact stories.
10: Absolutely. Always and forever. They never stop. (laughs) We don't stop growing.
2: We don't stop feeling the impact.
10: That's right. Absolutely. And uh, I just want to give a little shout out. I mean, these awards are super monumental, very important. And it's so nice to be recognized, right, for the hours Mm -hmm. of work that you um, sometimes do and that people don't always see. Um, But ultimately, it's really about the sources, the stories, the people who are kind enough to share their stories, their lives, um, their frustrations, their celebrations. It's all about them and it's a great chance to be able to talk about them and celebrate that. For sure, I think it's so important to highlight things that I don't know that don't always get highlighted or don't always get talked about and it's cool to see especially things get recognized on a national stage as well.
0: Thank you both. Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Anna Pope, congratulations.
10: Thank you. Thank you, Carl Collins.
0: For a year now, the KUAF Lunch Hour has been bringing you the best in local music and local food once a month here at the KUAF studios. Now we're taking it on the road. KUAF is partnering with local McDonald's owner-operators to bring you the KUAF Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series. It begins in late July and will include three tiny desk-style concerts that will take place at different McDonald's locations across northwest Arkansas, the River Valley, and the Green Country. These three concerts will lead up to a mini-festival called Lunch All Day in September. Performances are set to include Steph Simon of Fire in Little Africa, country singer Joe West, and artist-designer Tylo May. Get ready for a summer of fun, music, and great food. The KUAF Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series, sponsored by McDonald's, begins July 28th. Keep listening to KUAF, your public radio station, for more details.
2: This is Ozarks at Large with me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio, Catherine Sheralds, our militant grammarian. Hello. Hello. Are we going to continue more words that smart we people are. confuse?
7: We're back with some of the 38-word usage mistakes even smart people make. As compiled by Alvin Ward on the website Mental Floss. I love that website. Yeah, me too. This pair is a common one in lists like this, and to be honest, I never used one of the words before I saw the pair. So you know some troublemakers, don't you, I do. I do. (laughs) Yes. Well, they might be apt to flout local conventions by the way they flaunt their eclectic apparel. Okay. So, what two words am I concerned with? Flout about? and
2: font. Uh huh. All right. Flout is to, as I consider it, disregard convention or rules.
10: Mm-hmm.
2: Flaunt is to show something off.
7: Mm-hmm. Now, how are each of these F words spelled, Kyle? Uh, flout, F
2: L O U T, for flout, flaunt, uh-huh. F L A U N T. Correct.
7: Yeah. To flout, the word I seldom use is to ignore the rules. Right. To flaunt is to show off. You th- you can think of flaunt as the longer, showier one with that extra letter it goes around flaunting.
2: But I do hear or read a lot of people saying someone flaunted the oh, rules. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that would be, look at these rules. Aren't they great?
7: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is not too likely. Which is not flaunting <laughs> them, no. Unless it's Sheldon
11: Cooper. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you might That's do true. It. That's true.
7: Kyle, I recently visited some friends whom I hadn't seen as a family in nearly a decade. The two girls were definitely teenagers, Mm -hmm. sitting at the dinner table looking sullen or buried in their phones. But their mom did not let this phase phase her in the least. So a phase
2: is something you go through and emerge from, ideally, and that's Mm P-H-A-S-E. Phase is when uh, you're not bothered by it, F-A-Z-E.
7: Right, correct. I like that. Very good. Phase with p-h which can mean a process of change, is the more common word and usually the right choice except in those situations where it means to bother. Right. Phased with an F is almost always used after a negative. So be tipped off if there's a word like isn't, wasn't, doesn't, that kind of thing. I wasn't phased by that. Right. Yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Kyle, it's summer, mm-hmm. so I am loath to spend evenings outdoors because I loathe mosquitoes. How should I spell those homophones?
2: Give it to me again.
7: Okay. It's summer, so I am loathe to spend evenings outdoors Uh because I loathe mosquitoes.
2: And you are here telling me (laughs) that those are two different words. They are. Oh, I'm waving the white flag early on this. Um, Oh, right, because one might have an E and Mm -hmm. one might not.
7: That's correct.
2: And they're different? They're used differently? Oh, this is news to me.
7: (laughs) Help me out. Without the E, Uh L-O-A-T-H, is an adjective meaning reluctant. I'm loath to. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh,
2: And the other is like hate or dislike. Yes.
7: Well, disgusted, yeah. Right. Uh, Loathe with an E is a transitive verb that means to be disgusted with. So you've got more recognizable words around with the E than you do. Audibly, there's no difference. No.
2: It's, it's on only, phone. On only phone. spelling. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um,
7: Mr. Ward began the next pair by saying one was far more frequent than its near twin, but I think it might depend on whether you're a lawyer. Mm. So the more common word is the act of wagging your hand at someone to say hello. Okay. What is it?
2: Wagging would be shaking your hand.
7: Well... But what am I doing? You're waving. Yeah, wave. Yeah. Yeah. And what might be the more commonly used variation for a word for a lawyer?
2: For a wave. I'm. 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 I'm, Okay. okay. It's not
7: this one. It's another kind of wave.
2: Oh, W-A-I-B-E. Yeah. To, to, um, like, I waive my right to an attorney. Exactly. I, I decline. To
7: give something up. Yes. yeah. With lawyers, it's often meant to give up some of the defendant's rights. Right. For instance, when Donald Trump was arraigned, no one wanted to hear those 47 pages again, so the reading of the indictment was waived. Kyle, you can run both these things, but they have different meanings. How about running the gauntlet?
2: Well, I think literally running the gauntlet was like a a sort um, of—you'd run and get hit. Mm -hmm. You'd run through something Mm in medieval times, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm
7: -hmm.
2: Yeah. And metaphorically, it could just be used like to get from uh, task A to task B Mm -hmm. at work. I had to run the gauntlet. If it's torture, especially. Right, Right.
7: (laughs) And what is the confusing twin? Not running the gauntlet, but running the gamut. Yes.
2: And that's from soup to nuts.
7: Yeah. Range or spectrum. Right. Yep. Okay. How do you spell the phrases? How do you spell the phrase sneak peek?
2: S sneak peek. So sneak s n e e k? No, s
7: n e a k. (laughs) Peek is p e e k. Yeah. Because, right? Yes. Yeah, and you almost got caught up letting the spelling from sneak bleed over into peak. Right. Yeah. P-E-A-K is the summit. Yes, yes. And Mr. Ward suggests that you imagine the two E's as a pair of eyes helping you remember to use peak for the looking sense. And I guess the third spelling of the homophones isn't used enough to make Mr. Ward's list. However, I can vouch that an educated person, even one whose career is journalism, can make the mistake.
2: Okay. I uh, <laughs>
7: once applied for a Neiman Fellowship and wrote that at something— At Harvard? Mm-hmm. And wrote that something had piqued my interest. <laughs> How would I have spelled that? Well, if it's correct. Correctly, it's, yes. P i q u e d. Correct. Yeah. And while it should have been spelled with that, I spelled it p e a k e d. Your interest can peak. Yeah. Well, I mean that's what I. Was yeah. Wondering. But my, yeah, my interest was peaked. and right. that wouldn't work. Right. Gee, I wonder if that's why a novice small-town journalist didn't get the Neiman. I think that's it. I think that was, that was what was between you and the Neiman right there. Okay, Kyle, what does fortuitous mean? I am of two minds on this. I mm-hmm. think fortuitous means
2: uh, some sort of happenstance luck, as as
10: like fortune a,
7: would have it. Like a lucky accident? Yeah. No. Ah. <laughs> While it does mean by chance or accident, it doesn't always mean it's a happy accident. Oh. It can be a sad or
2: tragic accident?
7: Having lightning strike your house and burn it down is not a lucky event, but according to your insurance company, it will be covered because it is fortuitous or unforeseen.
2: Holy cow. Yeah. Did not know that.
7: And um, that reminds me of eager and anxious. Mm. Because I think we, a lot of people use anxious to mean either I'm worried about it or I'm excited about it. Right. Eager means I'm, ex- that's a positive. Uh-huh. Anxious means I'm having anxiety true. about it. True, yeah. true, yeah, yeah. Kyle, what's the twin word people should use when it's a lucky event? The twin word to fortuitous.
2: Fortunate?
7: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Okay, Kyle, what's wrong with this sentence? I'm going to refute the charge that I smoked in the non smoking hotel room. I know what you're going for
2: here. I'm not sure I'm going to tell you. Refute is what is the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's being used there as something that you disagree with.
7: Mm-hmm. But that is not right. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to let you tell us why <laughs> it's not right. <laughs> okay, refute. Yeah, refute. If you're going to refute, you're going to tell somebody about it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but that's not enough. You have to prove that the claim is false. It's not. It's not. You don't go to somebody and say, "Figure this out." I, here, look. Uh, they burned my pillow or whatever.
2: So you have to have proof to refute it.
7: Mm-hmm. And finally, today, Kyle, one of my favorite pairs, flack and flack. Hmm. If someone's giving you grief, you might say, "Don't give me any what."
2: F-L-A-C-K, flack.
7: No! No. It's F-L-A-K? Uh-huh. What? Yep. Not many words in English end with A-K, but flack does because it's a shortening of a 19-letter German word. Now, I'm going to try to pronounce this <laughs> thing. Fliege And why was it shortened? <laughs> Meaning an anti-aircraft gun. Flack huh. is artillery fire and by metaphorical extension criticism. Don't give me any flack. F L A K. Well what's F L A C K? That's your our P R buddies. I have <laughs> had
2: those two completely.
7: Oh really? Wrong. Oh you you used F L A K for P R folks. Yes. Oh yeah, that's flipped. Ha. Huh. <laughs> How about that? It's a publicist or someone who tries to drum up attention for a person or product. Yeah. Well, Kyle, we have one more week of Mental Floss's 38-word usage mistakes even smart people make stump you next week. I'm sure you will. (laughs) Catherine Sherald
2: is our militant grammarian.
1: Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, changing the narrative about working in early childhood education. Oftentimes, too, early child education can be looked at
5: as a job for people. And I want us to change that. I want it to be a career.
2: An organization is providing an opportunity for a free bachelor's degree to its employees. We'll hear that story and more tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF.
0: It's the Community Spotlight on KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. Today, joined once again by Jamie Smith, a board member with Give Camp NWA. Good to see you again. Good to see you
11: too. Thanks for having me.
0: Remind our listeners, give Camp NWA its history.
11: We've been around for about 10 or 11 years, and what we do is we serve only in other nonprofits. We um, bring people together from the creative industries about once a year, and we build free websites for other nonprofits. Um, So instead of spending $5,000 and two months trying to get a website, they get it for free in three days.
0: Now, a part of this is gathering a group of nonprofits to do this with, right?
11: Right, right. And so our application period is from now through the uh, July 31st. And you just go to our website and we need to, we have anywhere from eight to 12 nonprofits every year and uh, you have to apply um, and kind of tell us your need because we have to verify that A, you're eligible, but also that we can actually complete your project and we can actually do you some good instead of just trying. (laughs) A normal gift camp weekend is usually about 75 people because okay. each team is anywhere from four to six or seven people. The nonprofit is required to be there so that, because they are the client, and so we require them to be there so that they can answer questions right away about what they need.
0: See the process, uh, how it's built and stuff, that's got to be a, a good thing to see as well.
11: Oh, it's amazing. Um, on one hand, it's just a bunch of people sitting around staring at their laptops, but the fact that we are building that many websites all in one weekend, it's very powerful.
0: The camp is when, though? I think it's kind of almost in the fall,
11: right? It's the first weekend of October, but we start now so that we can find out who we're going to serve, and then the volunteer applications will open immediately after that in August so that we can start building the teams in September. Okay.
0: So you're looking for volunteers as well?
11: Yes, And, and those applications are open as well. Um, just go to our websites and if you're a nonprofit, profit click it on nonprofits at the top and it shows our different qualifications and what you'll need to know and our process. And if you're a volunteer, just click on volunteer and it'll take you through that process.
0: Jamie Smith is a board member with GiveCamp Camp NWA. Uh, thanks so much for letting us know about this.
11: Thank you so much. It's, it's exciting to be able to be here.
0: And that website, givecampnwa.org. It's the community spotlight on KUAF Public Radio where your voice matters.
1: This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Springdale, and Fallsville. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich, Randy Wilburn, Pete Hartman, and Catherine Schurls.
2: Matthew put today's program together inside the Bruce and Anne. Applegate News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio. Additional reporting today was conducted by the newsroom at KUAR in Little Rock. Special thanks to Rachel Sanchez-Smith and Anna Pope for stopping by the show today. Congratulations to Rachel, Anna, and Jacqueline Froelich for their recent statewide and national journalism awards.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a good reminder. I, I was talking about this with a friend. that It's a good reminder that this local journalism mm-hmm. that we get to do it matters. Uh, people recognize it. Um, and uh, it's good to have support from uh, our listenership for people who, you know, give us money, help support this public radio station,
2: and uh, and we put out good work. And it was important reporting about um, overdoses, water infrastructure, things that really matter. I mean, there are a lot of things that really yeah. matter, but these were stories. So I'm, and I'm incredibly honored to work with the people I work with. Absolutely. Right. We will be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7. You can always listen to us when you'd like. If you subscribe to or download the free podcast of Ozarks at Large, you can find that at OzarksAtLarge.com, at KUAF.com. And you can find it in your podcast player of choice. All right. I'm Kyle Kellams.
1: I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks
0: for being with us. Be well. The Scott Family Amazium in Bentonville invites families to play and make amazing memories this summer. Discover hands-on experiences for all ages, all summer long. The Amazium is open every day except Tuesdays. Hours, upcoming programs, and more at amazium.org.